Hey guys, welcome to the Virtus Performance Podcast. Before we get stuck into today's episode, I'd like to thank all of you guys who have been listening for the last 21 weeks. Uh, thank you for all of your messages of support, uh, all of your suggestions and everything for the podcast. It's been very, very much appreciated. If you have been enjoying the podcast and you have been listening, I would love for you guys to write a review, chuck it up on uh, up on iTunes or Podbean and, and uh, yeah, give us some feedback. That would be absolutely spectacular. Today's episode, uh, I've got the great man Bo Miles in. He is an adventurer, a filmmaker. Uh, he's just recently finished his PhD. He's a lecturer at Monash University uh, and I've someone who I've been lucky enough to, I guess, admire from afar for the last few years after watching a few of his videos uh, having the connection of him teaching a few friends and uh, things like that. And yeah, he's someone who's definitely inspired me to be a little bit more outdoorsy and spend a little bit more time outside of the house uh, and in, in the natural environment and yeah, challenge, I guess, what the amount of time that we actually spend indoors and, and not adventuring and exploring and things like that. So this was something I've been looking forward to for a little while once I got in touch with Bo and I hope you guys really, really enjoyed it. Thanks. My personal and business goal is to be just a little bit better every day. I believe everyone, especially normal people, have a story to tell. The Virtus Podcast exists to help us all find small ways of consistent improvement by discussing the journey and experiences of each of our guests. Bo, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, mate. This is new to me. What a whole new medium. It's going to be very exciting, I think, for all the people that follow you on YouTube and have been taught by you and things like that. I think it's a really good way to get an insight into why you do what you do and, and what it is you actually do. First question for you, mm. what gets you out of bed in the morning? Gee, uh, lately, the alarm, which <laughs> sucks, right? But yeah. uh, I've just finished my PhD, so... I tend to be sharpest in the morning, well, after 20 minutes when I've had a pot of coffee and Good. I've emptied myself, I'm, uh, I, I write, and I tend to be pretty sharp right through until about an hour after dawn, um, and then I, I head into work. So that's what my last six months has looked like for yep. writing this, this PhD, which has been a bit of an albatross yeah. for a rotting fish hanging around <laughs> my neck. Um, look, otherwise I've never... I say this often, I've never been bored in my life ever. Good. I'm pretty excited about getting up each day um, because the potential of a day is, is, well, off the charts, really. You know, what, yeah. it's, not, it's not a case of what I want to do today, it's, it's what am I not going to do in a sense. You know, how do I, yeah, how do I make the most out of this day because I'm pretty excited about it. That's a, it's a magical way of looking at it. I'm bored, I've got nothing to do, but now I look back and now I'm fairly busy compared to what I used to be and I think... I can't believe I was ever bored. I can't believe I, believe I ever wasted time. And I think that's really important to have that kind of mindset around what you're doing. Yeah, too, yeah. right. This, this whole idea of boredom means you're probably, and I reckon your parents have got a lot to do with it. Definitely. You know, my, uh, 
we didn't have a lot of sort of direct stimulation from our parents when we were younger. We sort of had to make up our own fun. 100%. Um, and that, that leaves you in pretty good stead, you know, to go and make your own fun. And then you become curious on your own account rather than someone giving you the curiosity. Yeah, yeah 100%. You start to actually chase and, I guess, dive into the things you actually want to do. Why, why a PhD? How did you get to the point of, of uh, spending that much time, I guess, focused on one topic? Well, I'll paint the scene for you yeah. um, because I don't like the idea of being a specialist. I've really, I really do not like that idea. I want to be a jack of all trades and experience lots of things. And so when I'm, I was sitting out on an island, Snake Island, uh, which is part of Mungo. Yeah. yeah, this beautiful part of the world, quite understated. And I was sitting there with an American academic, um, Dr. Winshooter, really great guy, who, and I've sort of taken over for his role here at Monash and unfortunately he had to leave for me to have a place here Um, and we're sitting around we're having a cup of tea and he's a total hippie real dude you know a real affectionate engaging sort of fellow and when he looks you in the eye and and he talks to you he is talking to you you know there's no that it's called phatic conversation P-H-A-T-I-C I think it is where People just talk because they're going to fill in space. You they're know? waiting for someone to stop talking so they can put their own thing in. Yeah, and he's not like that. He asks you a question and he wants to know the answer genuinely. And, and he said to me, Bo, he said, uh, how's my American accent? I said, Bo, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you want to, what's your knowledge contribution in life? <laughs> what a I, question. <laughs> I know, and, I, and I'd never thought of it like that. He, you know, and I'm, I'm on the cusp of doing a PhD at that stage. This is about seven years ago. And I'd never thought of it like that. I never thought that I could create something that is new knowledge. Yeah. And I'm still sceptical, I must admit, <laughs> right? But anyway, that's where it started off. And um, I suppose the bug bit, and I thought, well, maybe maybe there's an idea out there that I can contribute to scholarship or to, to be honest, I want to go broader than scholarship. I think that's too specialised. Yeah. And that's why I like things like film and podcasts and, you know, what you're doing, it's broader. Um so yeah, I suppose that's what I wanted to contribute to is something that was really specialised and known to me, but maybe has broader implications. That's, re- that's really cool. What's your so? What's your topic? What's your subject matter for your PhD? Well, you know what, the first three years of the project was trying to understand sea kayakers. So not just my experiences, other yep. sea kayakers. Um, for their, di- it's a really unique view of the world. Literally, yeah. you know, it's you're a very out different senior. pursuit. Yeah, you sit with your bum below the water level and you head off from land and you come back when you hit your fear factor, yeah. you know, to, to some degree. And you stay out for as long as you're comfortable and you sort of, you have this handhold of land the whole time. And so the sea kayaking idea is really kind of cool. So for the first three years, I thought, right, I want to study other sea kayakers. And then I have, you have panel, uh, you have these sort of examinations all throughout your PhD. Okay. And I was in one of them, I was getting grilled by some very smart person, and I said, well, <laughs> Bo, you tend to always sort of come back with your own questioning and your own misunderstandings. Why don't you scrap the idea of studying others and research yourself? And I thought, well, I'm bloody sick of myself. You know, <laughs> I really am. Um, and yet I still do have such burning questions. And if, if I can't answer my own questions about self, then stuffed if I'm going to try and unpack others. And so my study about three or four years ago really switched to becoming autoethnographic, so studying myself as a reflection of the world around me. Did you, did you find that three, the three years studying other people helped you delve deeper into you and what drove you? Too right. Yeah, good call, mate. And, and I, 
and I did, and I went, I went to a, uh, a sea kayaking symposium in New York, just on the banks of the Hudson, about now north of the city. And this whole idea was, all right, Bo, am I going to study others, or is this yourself? I was sort yeah. of at the cusp at that stage, and uh, that that was such a, it was really intimidating. And I came back from that thinking, well, you know, I don't think I can really put other people's head on the plate here and see what, what yeah. what's tasty and what's not. Uh, so. Yeah, I sort of made the decision about then. Awesome. What was the kind of first step in terms of looking at yourself and, and really delving into those questions? What did you what did you do? Did you have any trips planned or yeah, what was the process from there? It's a good question. I, I kinda had to go back to the drawing board because no longer was I then looking at others and how they experience an expedition or sea kayaking or land and seascape and all these sort of keywords I was cooking up. Um, and so I had to come back to, and, and you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, it's the most, well, yeah. it's the most revealing thing you'll ever do. Yeah, 100%. Um, and so, look, my default of that was, okay, Bo, come on, write and think about something that you completely want to spend time doing and, and want to know more about. And so that is my relationship with the natural world I suppose I really get a kick out of going out there and and, and just being um, I, lo- I really like my own company and so yeah I mapped it around myself on expedition going sea kayaking and I suppose to use the filmmaking thing you know uh, yeah. how do I see the world through a camera as much as just living it you know because that's very much shapes my that's shaped my last 15 years of expeditions. That's and so I really just settled on the things I really give a damn about. You know, it's very, it's very it's selfish. Probably, mate, selfish was probably the best way to kind of attack a learning experience because you're going to be yeah. have that passion to keep coming back to the well and, and continue to learn. Where did that, uh, I guess, love for the natural world kick off? Where did it start? I wrote the uh, introduction to my PhD very last. Uh, well, that's not true. I wrote the, the little, I wrote the thank yous last. Yeah. Um, and part of that, and this is only a few weeks ago or a month ago now, uh, it was I wrote it to my mother and my father up top saying that my father's a landscape artist and my mother's a gardener. And so I've got this really sort of, I suppose, deeper knowledge or deeper insight into how people perceive the world. Dad does it in paint, mum does it in planting things. And they're both outside all the time, you know. So yep. I just see great value in it and great wealth in it. So I'm really just a... And, yeah, I'm an offshoot of their DNA. When did the, I guess, adventure, for lack of a better term, when did that start? That's a good question. You know, I was a bit of a pissant of a kid. You know, <laughs> I, I didn't really, I didn't explore. I was quite scared as a kid, and I, I still have re- a really healthy fear threshold. Yeah. And yet I, I, I'm really interested about finding where that is and where those boundaries are, and I'm probably becoming better at pushing towards those fears the older I get, whereas in some respects it was the other way. It's around the other way for a lot of people. Kids are yeah. fearless often, and young yeah. adolescents particularly. Whereas you know, in football, if if I was a football player as a twelve-year-old, I'd be timid. Whereas now I wouldn't give a stuff. Yeah. You know, I'd just go for the ball, and which is the opposite for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know how that's happened, and I think maybe my expeditions will mirror that. I don't tell that to my mother because she, you know, <laughs> bloody hell. You know. I went to Africa for five months and she aged five years. I, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Oh, dude. So, look, I, what what adventure is, you know, that's a, such a contested term, right? Mm. And so I'm still coming to grips with that myself because 
I've done some things recently, you know, just walking to work or paddling to work, I busted my ass <laughs> yeah. on those two trips. And and I felt and was was exposed to feelings that I'd had in, you know, 20 k's off the coast of Africa, you know. So I've, I've had these sort of similar experiences in very different places. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get to the trips a little bit later, but it must have been pretty interesting having those same thoughts like in your own backyard, effectively, to the same thoughts you had off the coast of Africa. What was it? What was it like experiencing that here? Well, Lockie, I, I think we, I think we think we know a lot about where we live, but until you, until you do it in a, maybe a different way or try crossing the the places that you think you know really well in different modes yeah. in different times of day uh, hungry or, or full or with someone in particular you know you, you can really shape your experience you can really mould it and so by walking to work um, which usually takes me 55 minutes right and yep. then it took me two days to walk just plod along and you're just thinking all these sorts of wonderful yeah. things and I got more and more hungry as I got closer there was less and less food my whole world shifted, you know, and I was finding out and seeing things on my commute, my regular commute path um, that I would never have thought, you know, uh, and that was really cool, mate. On that walk, what was the what was the thing that I guess surprised you the most? Uh, I didn't get um, well. One, I didn't find as much food, right? So I'm a runner, and I, I'm always running around the roads, and you always see half-eaten burger thrown out the window or a half-eaten apple or something that's flipped out of the back of some tradies you that's half edible (laughs) so I thought I'd I'd be fine I thought I'd just eat off other people's scraps and and there just wasn't anything so the the biggest thing by sort of day two I wobbled in and I was I was genuinely hungry energy deprived and I was in a sort of state of uh well, you have to take a pretty expensive drug to get that kind of feeling, I suppose, which was pretty <laughs> yeah. cool, you know. Yeah. Just took you two days to get there. <laughs> yeah, 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 it did. That's really cool. Back to, I guess, growing up, what was, when you were a kid, you know, early teens, or what did you want to do? What was your, what was your goal? You know, well, to answer that, I, I, I'd probably say I still don't know what I want to do. Awesome. Um, so I like to be good at lots of things and I don't necessarily have to be the best at those things, but yep. I want to try them like someone who is the best at them that does them. I love that. that makes sense. So um, to be able to run a race to my threshold, to be able to chop a block of wood like a professional would and, and feel it through the axe handle, you know, uh, to, to build something with competency or to write like someone that can put together a piece of work that inspires someone or, or something. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. What did I want to be as a kid? I mean, you have those sort of dreams of wanting to be an athlete when you're 12 and 13, but I was yep. pretty crap at sport, really. <laughs> you know, yep. I was sort of okay. Uh, and then I sort of grew into a body that could be abused, I think, <laughs> you know. So I've realised at about the age of 20 that, you know, shit, I can go the long haul and maybe do it the next day and the day after that. And, and I sort of tapped into this sort of grunt um, yeah. and so I, I say now it's a bit of a throwaway line but my strength now is really my strength because yeah. I'm certainly keep not going. great at a lot of things but I can yeah. sort of just keep going I suppose Did, do you think that's more a f- physical attribute or a mental attribute being able to kind of grind it out and I've had this debate with the physiologists upstairs right so I don't know the body would like it like to be a fly on the wall in that, in yeah. that debate oh, they're really interesting yeah. but, and yet and so they've got the science behind them and a lot of them are athletes too 
look, ultimately, I think I know my body better than anyone. It's about the only thing I do know. It's a fair call. Right? So it's the only thing I have complete ownership of. Um, and I, I'm still of the opinion, you know, I've busted my ass to train over my life. So I've done plenty of Ks in various ways. So I've sort of built up this sort of muscle resilience. So I suppose yep. there's, that, there's certainly that physicality. Definitely both, yeah. But I bloody want it too, you know. When I... When I make a decision to go from one place to the next I really want it you know and so I suppose you, you use your body in the best way you can to do it that, that's a fair call why, why do you run is that is that your preferred mode of transport I suppose it's most bang for your buck and it's simple yeah. and look I, I, I just went for a run in the gym today oh, good. which is not really my bag but it tends to squeeze in between work the most efficient way possible yeah. and I don't have to put on sunscreen and it's I get a shower out of it and it's you know it's win, <laughs> right? um, so I did that in two buck op shop runners you know because you can wear crap runners on, on a treadmill because it's soft anyway nice and soft yeah yeah so um, I, I really like the fact that it's really easy you know and that's why the simple. Africans are so yeah. good at it they, they, they've got bloody nothing and yet they're the world's best runners and so I really like that um, even my wood chopping now which I'm trying to get better at cool. an axe head's 500 bucks you know yeah. and you hit a knot and do <laughs> you cook ding, you, you know there, there's another axe yeah. so uh, they're quite expensive um, yeah no, it's just simple it's just you and whatever, yeah. wherever you want to take and it and you can be such an idiot you know Forrest Gump <laughs> he wasn't the smartest tool in the shed and yet he, he ran everywhere mate <laughs> I, get, I get called that a lot you know it's probably not the worst thing. Yeah, <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when they throw their um, their uh, dirty, chi- you know, half a chip packet at you or a Macca's container, yelling out Forest Gump, run you idiot! You know, you think, depends how hungry you are, I guess. That's true. Day yeah, two, yeah. you would have been pretty oh, happy about that. them about littering. Right? Yeah, well, that's true. They can call me whatever you like. Don't litter, you moron. <laughs> yeah, that's it. When school finished up, did you? Uh, what was the pathway to to I guess being a, a uni lecturer and PhD? That's a good question. I um I had a gap year and I encouraged that hugely. Um, your sister's about to go to Canada and I think she that's is. the best she thing in the world. Shout yeah. out to Sarah. She uh said about eight times that I need to say hello to her. So hello. She's a gun student. <laughs> She's, She's a Simon Fraser Uni, which is holy moly, what a beautiful uni that is. It's a beaut. Yeah. Um, She's looking forward to it. Well, yeah, this this idea of a gap year, and well, I don't think it suits everyone because I think some people are ready to go straight from school to uni, but I certainly was not. I wanted to go and be a young adult and, yep. you know, uh, drive crap cars and, and pretend to be an adult in some respects, yep. earn crap money and just and just be a bit of a, a young dude in the world, you know. Um, but what I did do is I did a traineeship in outdoor ed and I met a great mentor and, and learned, learned the value of full-time work um, and uh, yeah, I'd say that was as formative year as any year in my life under John Quay, a guy. He's now an yeah. associate professor at Melbourne Uni. Awesome. I remember going to bed and I've got all the energy in the world and here I am going to bed and he's up in his tent reading papers. He was doing his master's. Yeah. You know, these... It's one of those kind 20, of people. Yeah, 20 hour, 20 hour day sort of fellas, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a great year and I learned a lot about the outdoors. Where to from there? Was that straight to uni after that gap year? Yeah, which was a bit of a lackluster year actually after that. So you yep. go from 200 days in the field, all the energy in the world and your own autonomy on programs and then I had to go back to step one to learn how to set up Trangia, you know? <laughs> yeah. God, what, <laughs> what am I doing? Do? Yeah. But I met some of the best friends in my, you know, so yeah. half the crew I graduated with from that uni course yep. are going to be at my wedding next year. You awesome. know? So there was a, it was a really good plan. That's really cool. What, I guess... For all the students out there that 
I guess, have a really good taste of what they're doing and then go to uni. Do you think uni needs to change the way they attack things or do you think that the students need to change their mindset around doing all that simple stuff again and just relearning and making sure that they're on point? Yeah, well, you should get into media, mate. That's a good question. I, I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, um, okay, so yes, students need to probably come to university with more of a university mindset. Yeah. University was well and truly my first port of call for my years doing it. Yeah. And secondary was getting drunk, work, women. You know, yeah. they, they sort of, uh, whatever. And yet now I think sort of work and adult life and anything but uni, almost growing up too quickly, comes before the university life. Well, yeah, and does, I think yeah. the universities have got a lot to answer for too because they're digitalising things, they're making less face-to-face -face hours, yep. there's more online platforms, it's becoming less of a person experience. Yeah, And that's a bloody great shame. Of course, yeah. And it is. And um, Outdoor Ed's still got that, you know, we're thick as thieves because we go camping yeah. together. It's very simple, yeah. you know, it's very simple. And so I know that a lot of people miss that. And when we get reduced field days and we get re these reduced relationships with some, because the students really aren't students to me in my field, they're friends, you yeah, know, so good. that's important. Yeah, I think it's really important because like I've, we certainly, through our internship programs and through us experiencing uni as coaches, we see the same thing in our, in our industry and I'm sure it's the same across every industry, but we get coaches who come out and they've spent less time coaching, they've spent less time in a gym, they've spent less time out running and doing all these different things because they've just spent time sitting in a uni and listening to lectures and that's it and doing some things online and yeah. and that's it and they're supposedly able to come out and be like an actual uh, I guess a part of our industry mm -hmm. and I guess you guys would be probably even more so having those yeah like you said the lack of less field days um, where, where what's the main difference that you find in learning for your students between I guess the field versus the classroom or the lectures lecture theatre well, it's, it's contested that you could almost, and, and I'll go away next month with our small sort of college of outdoor ed educators here at Monash, and we'll say, righto, do, do, we, do we turn this on its head again or try something that's radical or what is the point of classroom teaching for our field? Yeah. Um, we know it has a place because the outdoor educator in the school setting has to go into a school setting and teach, and teach at yeah. times in a, in a school setting yep. or in a classroom. But but maybe if we just do such a great job of fieldwork teaching, then that's just going to translate into four walls. Yep. So maybe we go away next year and rather than having two shoots a week in various classes, we just do it all in the local park or hell, we just do a 10-day trip and everything's all in one. Yep. Um, I don't know who... I don't know whose experiences are going to last from a classroom, ever. Mm. There might be an inspirational lecture that comes along sometimes or a really good reading. Yeah, that kind of opens the book, opens the door to do something like a, like a big trip. or. Yeah, but, but I, I know I, I, I'm not inspired by four walls. You yeah. know, unless it's a really great, amazing uh, room of architecture with lovely angles and lights spraying in and yeah. half a tree growing through it, I, I don't give a toss about it, you yeah. know? And so... I reckon a lot of people are the same. Hell, we've yeah. got an amazing outdoor classroom out there. Let's use it more. Damn 100%. It. <laughs> it's but it it's the biggest more. classroom ever. And yet, it's the freest thing in the world, and yet it's the most expensive thing when you when you put it through a, a university algorithm. Yeah, um, go figure. A day in the field for me costs them a lot more than having me in an office. 
Well, that's fair. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, there's an interesting kind of tug of war going on between what you, I guess, feel that students should be doing and how they should be learning and what you kind of have to do to a point. Yeah, and look, you know, I'm not an expert either. And, and I can say that because I'm becoming an expert in the field <laughs> yeah. and I know nothing about it. Yeah. I, I spent a lot of time with my 10-year-old uh, nephews this weekend yeah. and we went for a walk through the forest and they're just doing cool stuff, you know, and they're, they, they're out there completely engaged and, and 10, I'm out yeah. there overthinking what's going on and they're yeah. just whacking sticks on sticks, you know, digging holes and yeah. throwing rocks at each other and having a great time, you know. <laughs> that's, that's really cool for 10-year-olds to be that engaged in the environment. A little bit of a turn in what we're talking about, but I guess the introduction of technology and it's, it's an incredibly positive thing, but it can also be an incredibly negative thing. How do you feel its impact on the natural environment and our ability to actually experience and interact and engage? What a timely question. So... Three hours ago, I reviewed a paper. It took me three hours for um, an overseas journal. And the paper's title went something along the lines of um, Modes of Digital Technology to Engage Students in Outdoor Learning. What they did is for 90 minutes, they took a bunch of 12-year-olds up a creek bed. And for 30 minutes of that 90 minutes, they used iPads and various things to interpret nature. And for the other hour, they used traditional forms of learning. You know, this yeah. is a tree, this is a leaf, let's look at this, let's draw it, whatever. Yeah. And they come out with all sorts of conclusions and discussion about this. And at the end of the article, I sat there for about 15 minutes, yeah. sitting there drizzled in my own sweat after going for a jog halfway through it because I didn't know what to think. Yeah. Um, I thought, what's the point of all You know, what... Yeah. what I still don't quite get it, you know. So in my review, I wrote that what what is the why here? Are you trying to figure out if technology makes them see and perceive better, or are you trying to give them a better idea of what technology can offer? Mm. And it's not just about who's who you want to date or what's happening <laughs> yeah. somewhere else or what shoes to buy, you know. So I, yeah. I didn't quite know the why. Mm. And so, mate, I, I'm, the jury's out on technology. I know it's going to come. Yeah. Well, it's, that- it's almost just trying to find means to justify the fact that it's there and it's yeah. a thing and that we've got to more or less figure out how to make it a positive impact. Well, the way I th- – and I didn't say it in the review, but I know that if you, if you sharpen an axe for half an hour – and, you, and it's quite pleasurable, and yeah. it would be pleasurable for most people if they can take some rusty old axe and sharpen it, and then you go and, and chop something, yeah. and, and that and what you chop down, you can then make something. You make a spoon out of it, or you can uh, uh, light your fire that then you cook your meal, and yeah. hell, you make a shelter out of it. To see those really tangible, felt things that are just real yeah. and very basic and very old, we've been using that sort of technology for a long time. Yeah, I think. Get, use your screens elsewhere. Get stuffed. You know, yep. this, this is our domain of reality. Let's not be on a screen. I like that. Um, and so maybe I should have had the passion and the balls to say that in the review. <laughs> in the review. To say, yeah. why am I wasting my time with this? There is so much fodder out there in the real world. Don't waste my time, nor the students' time, yep. with thinking that you're getting anywhere with this, you know. Yeah, that's a, it's a really cool way of looking at it. Where did, what got you from the point of, I guess, a uni student to being a uni lecturer? What was that process like and how long did it take? I remember the phone call. Uh, 
late 2007. I think, you know, I think I was a bit of a ring in, as in, I don't think I was the first option. <laughs> Mate, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but it was Bo, um, we've got a group going out. Can you come and uh, help out? And yeah. So that was a sea kayaking trip. I wasn't long back from um, somewhere. Done a bit of sea kayaking and Ponch, my great mentor, said, uh, Can you fill in for us? And, and that started off uh, my return to Monash. So awesome. I've now been sort of back part time for three years and now full time for seven odd. Which are chalking up the years like that. Six over pretty quickly, hey. Oh, mate, you know. Why do you do it? Why do you teach? Uh, Well, there's a lot of worse things you can do, I suppose, you know. True. Um, I genuinely love my day-to-day. I get to hang out with people like your sister who are just, who want to go camping. Yeah. And want to learn from it, you (laughs) know. And that's a very cool thing when you've got all these, there's all this energy bound up in all these young people that want to go and do cool stuff. and you can tell a few stories about it. You can teach them some neat things about the world, but more so, they probably teach you because you're going out there doing it again. You know? Yeah, and each experience is probably different, even the same trips. Well, that's becoming a bit of a bugbear. So, yeah. Well, when I say bugbear, I, I think I chalked up a, my twentieth paddle of Tokemall to Barma this year. So I've done the length of the Murray in one section. Of, <laughs> there you go. And so yeah. I, I, you know. And halfway down, I was thinking, gee, I reckon I know the colour of the bark of that tree before I see it, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and yet I didn't. Yeah. And, and so that was really, I had to catch myself because it sounded kind of arrogant, but um, yeah, I, I, you're right in that now the only reason I go to a lot of these places is because the group's going to give me that different angle, yeah. and yet I'll always wander off and go and have a cup of tea by myself by the thing and look up and see some kookaburra, you know, yeah, something a little bit eating different. a small snake or something. Oh, that's cool. I've just witnessed something that's completely genuine, new, and, and get over yourself, but you'll be yeah. right, you know. What's, what's changed on whether it be lecturing or those camps over the last 10 years with your three years part-time and seven years full-time? What's, what's different now? Um, I tend to step back a lot more now. I, I used to be sort of one of the clan, you know. Yeah. And but I think I've hit that age now where I sort of ease away, and I'm not. I'm no longer a twenty-something. I'm a thirty-something, and uh, my mindset's definitely changed. I feel a bit older. Yeah. Maybe just in my mind because I can still go for a long run. Well, you've had all those experiences, so you kind of. Yeah, I think so, mate. I just. Uh, I don't know, the transition's kind of nice, but I think I want to experience it more uh, as as another kind of bow and not just the jocular sitting around a campfire telling stories bow. You know? Yeah, it's really interesting. What are, the main, or what are the biggest learnings you have off your students, either on the camps or here? What are the main things you learn from them? Because obviously you're in a position to teach, but like I've found the more that I teach with our education programs, the more I learn. What do you learn off your students? Well, I think students are really progressive more so than me so this Gen Y idea of, of these and I remember this bloke at a conference a few months ago said well, what do you mean by Gen Y and I said well well that's a good question I'm not quite sure I'm just putting a bunch of people of a similar age in a, in a bucket you know and that's yep. kind of, that's unfair right mm. um, but I would say that I suppose the modern day student we get through that's 20 or 22 they're, they're um, they think pretty quick you know and that's got a lot to do with their device in their pocket um, they've got a lot of information that they're filtering through, yeah. probably more than the dim-witted me. You know, I, I tend to <laughs> yeah. take a bit more time to filter things. Um, so, yeah, they teach me a lot of, of how to be progressive. Yeah, and it's probably too much information to a point which I definitely find myself thinking about 30 different things I've got to do, trying to 
pick which one's the most important you end up spread so thinly you don't actually get anything done so it's probably not a bad thing being yeah, somewhat how do you manage the time? do you have a big calendar spread out for the day <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's a uh it's a learning experience for me at the moment i'm trying to at the moment i'm i'm, di- I'm kind of journaling everything that i do for the day i'm doing that for th- the next three months so i'm about th- four weeks in so my 6 a.m to about 10 p.m's lo- not locked in but the night before I write down what I'm going to do and then so I've got that blocked out so that I'm being a little bit more productive with my time and if if it's an hour just to chill out I've blocked that out as an hour to chill out if it's an hour to sit down and record a podcast with someone like you and I've blocked that out so it's a yeah it's just an exercise in being mindful is what I spend my time doing because I definitely had a couple of weeks there where I was trying to do 15 things at once and none of them got done and the ones that did get done didn't get done well so yeah it's an interesting one but I think it's something that it's it's a it's a journey and it's a, an experience you're always going to be trying to get a little bit better at, um, yeah. Mm. So you're adventuring. When did that really start? And you said you started you're getting a little bit more adventurous with each one. When did it start? When was your first big one? Um, well, I suppose Africa was my first. Oh well, no, I, I had some defining moments in. Um, I took off on a sea kayaking trip in two thousand and three. I wanted to go and paddle around or circumnavigate all of the main islands of the main island chains between Adelaide and Perth. So there's three island chains. Yep. Uh, the Recherche Archipelago, the Noitz Archipelago, and the Sir Joseph Banks Group. And they're all sort of anywhere between 20 and 60 k's offshore of the Australian mainland. And so off I went, and um, my golly, what a learning experience that was. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I didn't know a lot about a lot of things. Maybe that was the strength of the strength of the trip in that you sort of your naivety's on your side and you sort yeah. of just oh well there's water this big blue expanse and there's a kite that floats that put the two and two together try and get to point A to point B exactly you know and I know now there's a fair bit more complicated than that um, but I, I learned a lot about myself and, and kind of uh, kind of got away with a few near misses so I had this sort of feeling of here's the near misses here let's roll them into something that's a bit bigger and bolder and culturally different so that's when I went to Africa yep. so um, and I never still re- really considered myself an adventurer and even now I'm a bit cautious when I say that yep. I'd rather be some sort of a, a quirky thinker <laughs> and, and, a, and, a, and a wood chopper or a farmer than, than maybe an adventurer yep. but I think all of those things can still complement each other yeah of course but you've kind of with some of your like commute to work and walk and, and kayak to work, you've you've kind of reinvigorated that word adventure to not necessarily mean some far off place, some yeah somewhere where no one's been. It's re reinvigorating that adventure right in your own backyard, which yeah, is super cool. Absolutely, lucky. I mean, I think any word, especially a key word, you know, if you if you're gonna live by something or if you are called something, yeah, really ask yourself what does that mean to me? You know, what does it really mean? Um, it, so I, I could say that an adventure is, is all sorts of things and yes my definition is shifting yeah. uh, because it is completely a state of mind you know I teach a lot about wilderness and I've learned a lot of these things from people like Brian uh, Watcho Ponch my, one of my mentors and, yeah. you know this sort of state of mind wilderness can be uh, back street of, of Burke Street in, in Melbourne as yeah. much as it can be in the middle of the, the bush yeah so why can't adventure is the same, you know? The, the sewers of Melbourne could be just as adventurous as the tunnels of the Nullarbor. Yeah. 
Is that that next uh, next sea kayak sure. through the sewers of Melbourne? Yeah, yeah, it's been done. It's been <laughs> Has done. it? Yeah, my, my Gee, that's great. Well, yeah, in a little yeah. I don't know. That's 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 insane. Through someone else's. Was Africa the first? I guess film that you put started putting together. No, my first one was actually uh, during uni. I did some mountaineering with some Norwegian friends in Canada. Yeah. Just real basic stuff, you know. But to us, it was pretty far out, and we drank a bit of whiskey on the way, yeah. and found some old stuff on the mountain, and. It was, no, it was a half-active volcano in the US. Amazing. Um, so I took a camera up that and thought, oh, this is pretty neat. Uh, made a crap film about it <laughs> and then um, did the same thing. In fact, it was a few years earlier I did, this, did the same thing in, in uh, Nepal. Awesome. I read that great book called uh, Into Thin Air, John Krakow, and wrote in the, in the cover, you know, I will go to Everest Base Camp while I'm a teenager. And Amazing. so I did that when it was still legal to hike by yourself now you've got to do it through a tour company and whatnot yeah so um i did that and uh did some sort of illegal scampering up the side up to base one up to camp one and and thought this was just incredible you know in saying that scared the hell out of me so when i first looked at everest i yeah. thought wow that's just ridiculous you know this big thing up there and you, you're sort of almost so close to it you can touch it and yet it feels like so it's, far away yeah um so that was my first sort of stab at, at, at film work, and then it's it's developed since then. What was that? What was that like on top of Everest, or so like at the at Camp One? What was it like sitting up there and kind of being almost on top of the world? It was amazing, you know, and being there alone yep. in this, in such a space. And you and and here's this Australian kid. I've never seen mountains like this. Holy moly! Yep. You know, our mountains here are brown and <laughs> a bit green and round. Yeah, big hills. Yeah, big hills. And so to go over there with this big jaggedy world that's ice and crevasses and the scale and the contrast of these mountains was... And even think about it now, you know, and I haven't really been in mountains like that since. Yeah. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, it's like a lot of things of those first years of adulthood, it's shaped my life, I reckon. Yeah. I got pretty crook up there too, so that sort of told me a bit about myself, that you're not immortal and you can, you can get real crook in these places. Yeah. Um, Showed you how little you were. Yeah, all that. Yeah, the scale, scale of the world. And that's what those big places do. Maybe that's why I'm attracted to sea kayaking too. It puts me back in my place. 100%. This little piss ant that's washing (laughs) around in this giant tidal world. Yeah. Yeah. How how, uh, sketchy did that get when you were sick? Because that was for your 20th birthday, correct? Well done, mate. I did some research. Sarah Sarah pointed me to the right direction. (laughs) Yeah, what what was it like? How, how, uh, How ill were you? Oh, looked fine. But, yeah. And I, I didn't come down. I probably should have come down more. I, I came back down to base camp. Yeah. And um, there was a local there because it was December, so it's the off-season. Cold as buggery. It's yeah. the winter. And, but there was one little uh, family that was still living there. Um, I was the only one in, in residence. Oh, there was Pete the Alaskan, but he'd left. <laughs> uh, and I just ate spuds for five days. There you go. And, and so that was that became a real thing too with his family. Yep. And I've had that since, actually. I've been in some real tight situations for the last 15 years on and off. And, and yep. it's locals that have shown me this real sense of humanity. That's amazing. Because I often don't believe in humanity much. I reckon humans are bastards half the time. And so they, yep. they sort of restore it. These little yeah. That's a very pessimistic view of the world for someone that seems very optimistic. Yeah, you're right. Um, look, I, I think I had this conversation this morning with, with a colleague upstairs, yeah. actually. If I was to say if I'm one thing or another, you know, are humans inherently good or are humans inherently selfish and want to self-better? I'm not sure I know. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's one answer, though. No, well, that's, just... and maybe that's it. Maybe that's mm-hmm. the answer. There is Depends no on situation answer. and... Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question to unpack. 
It's a whole other podcast, I think. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. We're probably right about that, though, aren't we? No, we've got 20 minutes or so. We've got a little bit to go. Um, so from those, from those trips, what were, the, what were the main things that I guess you were able to learn and experience from going to, I guess, experiencing those amazing heights of Everest to all the sketchy things that happen in Africa and, and all these kind of things? So what are the comparisons? Yeah, what are the comparisons between, I guess, both you got to experience the, I guess, the good and the almost bad. What was the, what did you learn? Well, I wear a lot of khaki, right, which is similar to beige. You know, and you, you got, you've heard people call people beige people. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're kind of not one thing or another. Yeah. I'd never want to be that. Yeah. I, I don't want to just I like that. the status quo. And, you know, I must admit I'm living the status quo now, and that's Monash, which is, which is a very wealthy thing too in that I'll have this really – I've got this amazing crutch, and that's Monash right now. So yeah. I've got to, I've got to figure out if I want to keep that crutch, uh, or get rid of it and wobble off onto something else, um, which I feel I kind of must. I'm just not sure how or when, yeah. um, or whether I keep my foot in the door of academia mm. for whatever that is. Yeah. You know, um, there's a lot of smarter people out there that aren't don't have PhDs, you know. So I, I'm becoming a little bit sceptical of where I'm at. And that's nothing against Monash, it's an amazing place, right? Yeah. Um, so to go back to, to the comparison point, yeah, I, I, need to, I need to shake things up again before I get too wobbly myself physically, you know? I yeah. Think, well, I've still got this physical sort of thing. Um, Do you know what that going. looks like? Do you know where you, your head's at in terms of the next challenge or the next step? No, and you, you know, I sometimes think I hope it just hits me in the face, yeah. but they just don't. Mm. You got to chase those things. Hundred percent. And and so, emails like phishing. Sometimes, you know, I sometimes think that you know you, you send out a few things on email sometimes, and you yeah. hope they come back in a particular way. Yeah. And they nearly always don't. You know, you you put out these feelers. Yeah. And so, you you really have to go and find those things yourself. And so it's, it's not really about phishing and just dumb luck it's just about going and it's figuring about, out what you want to do and yeah putting doing a bloody it. snorkeling mask on and finding the fish yourself that's you cool. know? and so maybe I've uh, I know I have to do that more but it's, whether it's in six months or a year or eight months and I've been saying that for about a year now so I've got to get back together <laughs> something's got to happen yeah I'm not sure mate but it's yeah, I'm at the cusp the PhD was a big beast you know yeah. so and you've um, only just wrapped that up yeah, yeah a month ago yeah. so um, to have to be sort of postdoc the, the world's the, my oyster you know, family's important to yeah. the family now. You getting married next year? Yeah, next married year? and I'll we'll be having kids that night, I think. Well, <laughs> it doesn't really work like, that way, no. does it? <laughs> no. Nine, nine months and four days I'm later, not that well versed on the subject, <laughs> but I don't think it works that way. <laughs> Gotta go back to school. We'll see how we go. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, kids will be kids are a big thing. Awesome, awesome. For I guess the budding and again the term adventurer, for the people that want to experience the world and not just the uh, bitumen streets of Melbourne what advice would you have for them people that might have had no experience at all well my um, one of my chapters in my PhD was sort of in a sense defining what the adventurer is yeah and and so I went through these terms like the traveller the adventure traveller the expeditioner the explorer and you've got this sort of modern day existential adventurer which I suppose I embody because I'm no longer after any things that haven't been seen before. Google yeah. Earth can get you wherever into the planet, yeah. essentially. Um, and so I can't, I can't show anyone anything different, um, but I can maybe tell the story in a different way. Mm. And so for me, 
very much the adventure experience now hinges as much on how I interpret that as a story through film, through books, through whatever, through writing. Yeah. So if you're, I suppose um, it doesn't have to be much. You know, there's Alistair, uh, what's his name? There's a fella in the UK. Um, he calls them micro-adventures. You know, there's the sort of things been yeah. for years. It's just going out for a day or two days or a weekend and just doing something cool that's a little bit edgy that's mm. beyond what you regularly do. You know, yeah. it's not just car camping. But my, my key piece of advice for anything that has any kind of adventurous spin is, yes, do it with people, but do it by yourself first. That's cool. I'm a huge exponent of when you are the autonomous the buck stops with you for everything from shelter to food to decision making to distance to your yeah. body holy moly you know and yeah, people just some don't do self learning for you some really quick way to learn a little bit about oh, yourself oh mate so in a second year class we used to do um, I'd, I'd ask everyone this is after two full years of study 20, 21 year old people yeah. have you ever spent 24 hours alone in your own head or mm. in your own company and maybe one of a class of 40. Yeah. It's so, and that's, this is a 20-year human that's never, ever been alone for yeah, 24 hours. That's insane. Now that's pretty, you know, I would say my grandmother's um, uh, generation, they, they were alone a lot more in, in some respects. Um, yeah. We're always connected now, whether it be from that device in our pocket or from yeah. friends and family always around us. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's where you'll get that uh, what's that famous quote um, silence is deafening I, th- I think people to go out and to be by themselves they will they will hear things and see things and, and hear they'll hear their internal ticking you know they really will you'll hear your heart for the first time yeah. probably ever you'll, and you'll feel it pulse in your body and that's pretty important I think yeah that's really cool I'm, I'm, I'm actually <coughs> had planned to do Everest Space Camp by myself this about this time and I've hurt my shoulder with footy so I couldn't go but next year I think that's the uh, that's the plan go get spend it, a yeah. couple of weeks and, and try fun. and do it as, as a long, well no yeah, you do it in so many ways it yeah. can be adventurous but to have but that small solo time is just really get away yeah. on your like all of your trips you've obviously done a lot of solo stuff a lot of group a lot of lead trips what do you enjoy the most or do you enjoy them all for different reasons yeah, all for different reasons. I, I must admit, I'm getting to the stage now, and I say this to Helen, the future future Helen, um, <laughs> uh, that I, t- I sometimes have countdown trips now where I really do, on day two, I'm thinking, shit, five days to go, four days to go, three yeah. days to go. And I don't like that about no, myself nor the program because you tend, well, what a waste of time. Mm. You know, well, yeah. if I'm counting down, then I'm not living in it. And so... Uh, that's crept through a little bit in the last few years and that's a bit disappointing. So so trips that are highly repeated and that tends to be the case when you're yeah. one place for a while. Uh, but yeah, they're all different. And I must admit, my last crossing of Bass by Kayak, I did it with two guys and, and that reshaped the social experience for me. That was awesome. Yeah. You know? And even in uh, Queensland a couple of weeks ago with our third years, it was really fun, you know, just to... Awesome. And an all-girl trip too, or mostly girl trip. Sorry, Troy. Sorry, you. It was, uh, yeah. It was. Um, you, you sort of just see different people in different ways. It was nice. Awesome. Really, really cool. A couple on the environment before we uh, finish off with a quick little lightning round. Yeah. <clears throat> what? Or can you explain your connection between, I guess, the self and the environment to people that might not have experienced it and might not have spent twenty-four hours alone. Um, outside the comfort of their own home which come to think of it I don't think I have so I think that might be a, a goal for the next two weeks yeah 
It would be really good. It would, you, you would be amazed at mm. how your business might go through the roof with five decisions you make out there. <laughs> yeah. Or probably just one. One. Just one, one key big decision. One. You'll yeah. come back and you think, I'm crystal clear. And, and, and maybe that's the whole, maybe that's the answer to your question, that mm. the environment is about maybe it gives you answers to yourself that I don't think you can get around the clutter and the, the hyper media world of our regular lives, you know. Um, uh, I have green space all around my house. I have lots of windows, you know. I don't do the lawns as much as I probably should, you know, so there's lots of bugs and birds and stuff everywhere. Yeah. It's not messy, and yet it's a bit more it's a bit more raw. I, I know also that I live in a really manicured landscape. I live in a really pretty green-fielded rolling... It looks like a rolling blanket laid out, you know, yeah. up in Jindavik. It, it's looked like that for 100 years, and before that it was a big bloody mega forest. So I, I'm sort of torn between what I think is beautiful and what I think is natural, you know, um, because it's very pretty. I'm, I'm in awe of big trees and, and things yep. like that, and, and yet I also like using timber. So I have this love affair with wood in both its living form and how it can make shelter and... Um, Spoons. And Everything. spoons and trusses for a shed and, yep. you know, a, whatever, a, a beautiful seat. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what to say about the self and nature in that there's many ways you can think about it. This, this great author, he's a phenomenologist, which I suppose I've dipped my toes into with my PhD. Yep. David Abram, his name is, and he has this lovely term called more than human. And he says, okay, there's the humans of the world and then there's everything else. And it's not less than us. And in yeah. fact, it's probably more powerful, more potent, and it's more than human. It's more complex. Um, it's it's less... It, it doesn't judge. There's no such thing as a judgment in yeah. many respects for, for anything other than humans. And so it just goes about its business, mm. you know. Um, I think they're, they're pretty powerful ideas. Yeah. And just to experience, it's probably the big one, just... Oh, to look around, yeah. you know, to go back to this paper I reviewed earlier today, <laughs> one of their methodologies was to get students to list as many things as they could in five seconds. And I said, what's five what's Yeah, five what are you going to do in five seconds? What are you going to do in five seconds? Yeah. I've, I've barely turned around in five yeah. seconds and I'm still hearing my the person next to me, you yeah. know. Um, we, we need to be... This is... Yeah, uh, Ralph, I think he was, 1976. You know, we need to be intimate observers... And we're just not. Hmm. And I reckon I am sometimes, but I'm getting less and less because I'm in front of a screen more. Uh, it's two foot in front of me and it's telling me what to look at. You know? yeah. yeah. So, I don't know, mate. That people just need to go out and have a look around, you know, and be yeah. by themselves whilst they're doing it maybe, and, and you'll see things and hear things you haven't heard before. Awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. That's awesome advice. Now, I've got a few... Uh, Questions from your students, your ex-students. Right. Um, so I'll, I'll nail a couple of these and then we'll knock over some, I some quick I'll be ones. I'll pick the dirt bags too. <laughs> if you can pick it, I'll be very impressed. When we constantly find ourselves clouded by a world of endless opportunities and decisions in, in the pursuit of living purposefully, what is one piece of advice that you would give someone to start every day as a cornerstone to finding their own meaningful direction? Well, Helen would have a glass of water. Before she does everything, she drinks water. Awesome. I need to do more of. Yeah. I need to drink less tea and coffee and wine and more water. The next piece of advice was, and I've written this on my wall a couple of times before ripping it down, thinking I, I, would, you know, I felt like a bit of a wanker by doing it. 
So I would say take no prisoners, and I've said this to them before, do exactly what you want to do. Pretend that it's not about money mm-hmm. and it's not about um, status or fame or yeah. what your mum wants or your dad wants or what you think you want. What do you want? Mm-hmm. And do it. That's awesome. And that's it. Spot on. And, and if you do that, you'll be, not only will you make truckloads of money probably <laughs> and you'll probably get status and all the other stuff, but yeah. they're so secondary, you know, and the more we realise that, the better. And I have to live and die by that myself a bit more, and so I'm questioning that. Yeah, well, I guess when you teach that to your students, it makes you revisit, well, am I actually living that way? Which yeah. Is pretty powerful. I think so. Look, yeah, certainly uh, there's always compromise too mm. because that's, this is some hype, you know. That, that's a fairly righteous thing to say. Oh, yeah. He's a red-headed <laughs> uh, white male in a white neoliberal university, you know, so I, I know all yeah. that, but... Um, and there will always be compromises. So make the compromises where they matter and where you have to, and the rest take no prisoners. Awesome. For aspiring educators, such as my sister, may have come from her, she's someone who you aspire to be like, and she's very inspired by you, as uh, I guess all of your students, I'm, I'm sure. Who has been your greatest external influence, and who are the people that you most look up to? So mentors, parents, anyone? Uh... Yeah, look, my grand—I think I've got to start with my grandparents, um, just because they're—they're they're the, the matriarch and the patriarch of this big network of, of us, right? All, yeah. all of us family, and I see great wealth in that. And they're very practical. I see, I'm really inspired by people who are just, can just do stuff. You know, they can just fix things, and they're yeah. problem solvers, and they're very intelligent by just what they can physically do. I have great. I have great respect for that. My grandfather, for example, would just make bloody everything, you know. And if it was broken, he'd fix it. Somehow he would yeah. fix it. Cool. And he'd do it with, you know, MacGyver-type stuff, you know. <laughs> um, look, thinking people. Uh, my, my dad's a real thinker. My mum's a real doer. Um, Helen's the best communicator I've ever met. My future wife, she's amazing at communicating. I have some friends... Marco, one of my best mates, he, he came and had lunch with me the other day and he bought all the stuff he'd, he'd made, you know. Cool. We didn't go to the cafe and buy a, a five-buck roll. He, we made our roll with stuff he'd made. That's super and cool. And I, I bloody nearly kissed him on the forehead, you know. <laughs> so I'm really, I really love those sort of people. Um, Ponch and John Quay, uh, you know, these sort of thinkers within the university space. And then there's lots. and Lots, yeah, lots and lots. Awesome. With some of your bigger trips, so your, I guess, Bass by Kayak being the big one, um, Africa by Kayak, your Trials and Miles, what, and especially the more, the commutes, what gave you those ideas or was it just a little fire that you thought that'd be cool? Yeah, well, I want to explore the commute more, so that's that's sort of in, in progress, so I'm about to Good. do something with that, but uh, yeah, just ideas, and they're just... Half of them aren't even very good ideas, you know, but they're just ideas. And for every 10 ideas I have, you, you do one, yeah. you know. Um, I write about them lots. Uh, I've got sticky notes all over the place that I make into a document every now and again. Yeah, um, yeah you just, just, we all have ideas. I think a bit like a 10-year-old that is almost a 15-year-old, they shut down a lot of those ideas. You know, they become this regular industrialised human and stuff that just keep writing down your weird ideas and go and do them every now and again good really really cool and I think actually doing them is a big thing because so many people have ideas and have things they want to do and it's just actually going you know what I'm going to pull the trigger on that yeah um, 
So yeah, I'll, I'm going to make you hold me to that going away for 24 hours by myself. That would be really good. I'm going to do it. And I yeah. actually we could do a part B, and I'd yeah. love to. I'd Afterwards, love to interview you about it. Let's do it. Yeah, because that 24 hours inside your own head, and that's no human sounds, no human visions. That's just you in some space, you know, and be, whether it's by the sea or up in yeah. the forest or whatever. Just Sounds to good. be by yourself, and have, you know, you're warm, you're comfortable, you got a cup of tea, you know, you got somewhere to look at. Maybe you're walking for half a foot on it. Cool. Be good. I'll explore it. I'll definitely get it done. Uh, a couple of uh, <clears throat> really quick questions. Yep. The first thing that comes into your head. If you could choose, would you live on the land or in the water, and why? Land. Um, just because I, I really like things like trees and I like the smell of the land and yeah. this, you know, the salt and sand after a while is a pain in the ass, literally. <laughs> True. You know, it's just, uh, but I, I love the sand too, but not land, land. Good. If you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? Jeez. Uh, <laughs> uh, licorice, maybe if it grew on trees. <laughs> That'd be cool. A licorice tree. I'm planting one of those suckers. Like an apple. Just an apple that is licorice. Just a giant <laughs> yeah. ball of licorice. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the best answer I've had. There you go. What is success to you? I'm still figuring that out too because I, I often think I'm unsuccessful. Uh, and yet, you know, you chalk up all these things and you do all this great stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, look, it's a bit wanky, but just being happy. And I'm really happy right now, so I suppose I'm successful, you know. Yep. Good. If you could give teenage Bo one piece of advice, what would it be? Don't worry about your hair, mate. It'll be right. <laughs> you know? Don't worry. Being a ring is okay. And oddly enough, I, I wore a hat for so long since that point that now, now it's brown. It's boring as a Anyway. Still get a little bit with the beard. I which, know. which I'm exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. What's the nicest thing you've ever done for someone? Gee. Um, I don't know. Uh, I've... I hope to think they're really nice gestures. I really like writing letters that are that are completely unexpected. So writing an actual letter, handwritten yeah. letter that's just you talking about the world and asking them questions and, and just giving them an insight of yourself um, that's genuine insight and not yeah. just, you know, just filling in uh, fat air. It's probably know? something that's lost a little bit. Yeah, I really like writing letters and it's quite a selfish thing too because it makes me feel good and you're dumping these ideas out. Yeah. But, Getting something to post is really great, so I've done a bit of that recently. Awesome. What's the last book you read, start to finish, and what did you learn from it? Finished it last week, The Happy Islands of Oceania by Paul Thoreau. Bloody beast of a book, 500-odd pages. Yeah. He travels around 51 islands of the Pacific, and basically, he, and he's not an, uh, what do you call it, an um, anthropologist, but he may as well be. It's very good. He's very cutting. He's... Uh, He's a bit. Br- he's very brutal, you know. He rips apart the local cultures, but he also does. He rips apart himself as a privileged white male and what looking at these things. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's quite funny, and and he does it in a kayak, so I was quite attracted to his mode yeah, of awesome. transport. <laughs> of uh, course. It was, uh, it was very very good book. Uh, Happy Isles of Oceania. Amazing. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be, and why? I always forget the really attractive women in the world um, because, you know, I. Oh, Emma Stone, I'd have her there. Yeah, so I think good. she's fascinating, and she reminded me of Helen anyway, so those two I could compare. Yeah, good. <laughs> She'll kill me for saying that, but I just want to have them in the same room. Oh, I reckon I've got a better version, actually. Good. Um, good save. Yeah, good save. Uh, Emma Stone. Um, look, Paul Thoreau, and I think he's actually dead now, but I've read a few of his books over the years. I'm really fascinated by these deep-thinking authors. I think he, he may be one, just because I'm on the spot. Yeah. Um, and then... 
And then, I don't know, a third member, someone who's dead and buried. Uh, I, I don't know. Jury's out. I'll get back to you on the next one. Cool. If you could be remembered in one sentence, what would it be? Bo did stuff. <laughs> Good. Good. That should be your title of your next movie. Yeah. Bo did actually, stuff. That's not bad. That's not bad, actually. Bo did stuff. Yeah. The Bo did stuff series. <laughs> I'd watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you write all your ideas? Do you journal? Do you diary? Do you, what do you, how do you put everything that's in your head out? And... Uh, I spend an awful lot of time on the computer now. So um, I have, a, I have a, a full-time document just always open on the left-hand side. It's about a third of the screen, and that's yeah. just my, my notes. Awesome. And I just will often be deleting them, but they're just notes. Um, Helen does it on her phone and yeah. I know some of my more esteemed colleagues they do it in notebooks like the moleskins and things a bit like yeah. yours um, but I'm, I'm so computer centric now and I figure I often turn those ideas into something that's a digital file anyway so I have a footprint that's a good, good way of doing it I find myself stuck between the three whether it's phone whether it's a diary whether it's a computer because I'm, well, I want to get away from the computer and write yeah. it all down but at the same time you're right it ends up being on the computer anyway yeah so. I, I used to be exactly the same five six years ago yeah. I, had, I had these lovely moleskins and I'd write notes on my phone but now yeah. the phone I just use for phone calls yeah. the computer is my pretty much my everything and it's a love hate thing. The, the, com- the computer world is is bloody amazing. Oh, and it, it has made it has made a lot of stuff possible. Mm. Yeah, like a lot of people are going to hear this conversation. Hopefully, yeah. Or Mum will probably probably KP will listen to it. That might be better. Helen will listen to the first twelve minutes. <laughs> good. So she won't hear you say that, no, that's and not. she won't know about it. Emma Stone, so it'll be all good. <laughs> <laughs> if you could have a billboard on over the top of the Monash Freeway, what would it? What would you put on it? Um. Oh, that's another big question. Uh, oh, just maybe it's all black and white. Maybe it goes back to that 1992 Apple um, advertorial, which is think or think big or think outside or yeah. just think. Good. Or be, uh, yeah, think. Cool. A couple of favourites to finish off. Favourite movie? Gee, that's hard too. Um, I was almost become, become a, a elite soldier of some kind. Um, I'd done all the paperwork. Yep. Only told a few people about it. There you go. And I went and saw Saving Private Ryan, and and didn't. Yeah, and was that the the kicker? Ten days later, I wrote a letter saying I'm I'm not in. There you go. So I passed a lot of the tests and was ready to go, so I didn't do that. Slide indoors moment. Yeah, kind of. And look, the movie itself is just this. You know, it's a war movie, and mm. Tom Hanks is very good, whatever. But it was a, that was a pretty pivotal kind of movie I suppose yeah good. it was on the other night and I thought about it <laughs> there you go what's your favourite part of the world oh uh, look I'm pretty smitten on Jindavik where I am at the moment because yeah. I've you know I've got a little vineyard there now and I've got fencing that I've made and a little cedar shack that's going to potentially hold, hold a family and stuff awesome. so that's pretty grouse but I worked in Vermont uh, for 10 years in, in the US and that's as home as anywhere I've been to and I, I miss that deeply it's kind of haven't a bit of a, a festering wound that one it's, I do miss it good favourite resource for new information look the internet of course mm-hmm. bloody google machine <laughs> but I do love libraries I really love libraries um, and yeah uh, books look I, I really just like the book uh, yep. my PhD you know I've read all these journals hundreds of them and then I found a book called The Adventurer by a fella 
written in 1974 in New York, Paul's yep. Week, and it's it's amazing. Um, and the, and the, a book is a very different beast to a journal or Google. It's got that different. Mm. It's diff- different. Well, it's a it's a tangible thing yep. that you can sit there and hold and read and yeah. Yeah, but then the modernist in me too. I mean YouTube and that's amazing. Mm. There is music's amazing, but uh, oh look, it's the, the online world is far out you can get lost in that um, 100% and I don't often because I'm so on the computer so much anyway but if I am a bit idle sometimes and I've got a filler between something that I've got to be doing yeah. I'll go to YouTube just go down and a rabbit hole, rabbit hole yeah and don't yeah. take me long to be inspired yeah, yeah. good last one favourite quote um, Thoreau uh, what was it 1848 I think I wanted to live a life more purposely good I think I've misquoted that. It might be yeah. ten or twelve years earlier, or a few more <laughs> words. But to live a life purposely, yeah. and and to have hands with with um, blisters on, to look yeah till I die. Good, yeah, awesome. Where can people find your stuff? How can people get in contact with you if they want to email you or write you a letter? That would be really good. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, bowmilesfilm.com or go to my YouTube page would be awesome. So um, check out that uh, and uh, links through pretty easily. Um, so yeah, bowmilesfilm.com, uh, which will be bowmiles.com pretty soon, and uh, YouTube, which just type in YouTube and bowmiles. Um, it should awesome. should land you there. I'll sign up for a bachelor degree and spend the next three years with you. Good call. Yeah, four years. <laughs> four you can years. Listen to this rubbish. For four years. <laughs> Mate, thank you very much. I appreciate it.